And we're going to look at our passage today. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. Here it is. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth, turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are gathered here in your presence to hear your word, Lord, to hear you speak to us, and we know you're going to do that now, Lord, but we believe in the Holy Spirit. We know that uh, when the word is preached, you're speaking, Lord. So I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would not return void, but would accomplish the purpose for which you send them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, uh, if you're new with us this morning, uh, we have been working our way through the book of 2 Timothy in a series of sermons that we've titled Vintage Season Words to the Church. So we've been working through 2 Timothy chapter by chapter, and we're on the last chapter, uh, chapter 4. And the guy who wrote 2 Timothy uh, was a guy named Paul, Paul the Apostle. He wrote most of the books of the second part of the Bible, which is the New Testament. And Paul was a pastor. He was a pastor. And he's writing this little letter to another pastor, friend of his, who apprenticed with Paul, who he discipled, um, named Timothy. And here, the Apostle Paul is charging him to preach, to preach the Bible, to preach the Word. So today, I'm going to preach about preaching. You guys ready for this? I know that's why you came, right? Preach about preaching. Now, that sounds strange, uh, but that is, the, that is the next, that is part of chapter 4 uh, of 2 Timothy. And uh, it, it would be like, you know, maybe, maybe it sounds like, you know, going to a restaurant, the waitress coming out, she tells you all about the food, right? And then she just walks away. Right? She never takes your order. She doesn't bring your, your big juicy steak or anything like that. Uh, that would be strange, wouldn't it? And, and that might, uh, that might, you might feel that that's what we're doing this morning, but it's, we're not, right? Preaching about preaching. I listened to a prominent pastor uh, talk about this passage, and he said that all of his years in ministry, which were many, decades, he never preached on this passage to his church. He preached on it all kinds of other occasions, right? But he never, when the church was gathered like we are right now, he never uh, preached on this uh, passage, and ironically, during his sermon on this text, he didn't preach about preaching together when we're, when we're together as a church. He basically said, we're all preachers, and we all just need to preach the gospel. And there's some sense where that's true, right? But that's not the immediate context or the immediate audience of 2 Timothy chapter 4. It was written to a preacher, and he is being challenged to preach the Bible. So, what is preaching? What is preaching? 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word, right? So my assumption is most of you guys grew up in the church and you are, are been around church or you're familiar with, you, you are familiar with preaching, 
Right, you've heard a lot of preaching, you've been around it, you've got some ideas about preaching, what it is, what it should be like, what it shouldn't be like. Some people use the word uh, preach in a positive way, right? You know, like, man, that sausage was good, right? And someone says, preach it, right? Something like that. Or in a church service, someone says, preach, amen, preach it, right? So, uh, but it's, it's pretty typically uh, something that Christians say. Uh, it's a Christian, Christian lingo. Some people have a negative idea about preaching. I remember a coworker when I was working uh, downtown Richmond, Virginia. Uh, she knew I was a pastor and a part of a church, and she said that uh, she um, had some apprehension about preaching, that she felt like it was like, almost like wrong for someone to stand up like I am and to speak or to preach about God or, or the Bible or anything like that, right? Uh, <clears throat> or maybe the word preach is used when someone's getting on your case, right? They're preaching at me, right? They were, just preaching, preaching at me, right? It's giving me a hard time. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it this morning. But my point is that people have a lot of different ideas about preaching. So what is it? What is preaching? How about we start with Jesus? Let's start there. I think that's probably the best place uh, that we could start. Jesus was a preacher. And I want to show you this. Luke chapter 4, verses 43 uh, uh, through 44. Jesus is speaking, but Jesus said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. Here it is. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus is saying here that he was sent by God to preach, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. He said this is what he was all about. In the first part of that passage, look at it, it says, Jesus said to them, it is necessary for me. In other words, he said, he's saying, I must do this. I must preach. Right? And he was proclaiming the good news. He was proclaiming the good news that all of God's promises were being fulfilled in him, that he was the Messiah, that God's kingdom had come uh, in him. And he was announcing this. He was proclaiming uh, this. And then he died on the cross resurrected from the dead, and he sent his disciples out to preach. And that's what they did. If you read the book of Acts, that's what they did. They went all around the Roman Empire and the Mediterranean, around the Mediterranean, and uh, they preached the word of God. And, and there's passages in the book of Acts that says, and the word of God continued to spread. And the word of God grew, and it grew because they were preaching it. And then God raised up a great preacher who was formerly a persecutor of the church, the guy who was writing 2 Timothy, uh, his name was Paul. And he went all around the Roman Empire preaching the Bible and starting churches, very much like what we're doing here. Preaching has always been what has started churches. Preaching has always been what sustained churches. Preaching has always been what multiplied churches. And Paul here is charging this pastor to preach it. Preach the word. Paul started a church in Greece uh, in a city called Corinth. He wrote two letters to them, and in 1 Corinthians, this is what he says about preaching. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God, there it is, but uh, he just means here, he was telling them about Jesus, mystery of God. I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My speech and my preaching are not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. See, preaching according to this passage is not being clever. It is not being cute. It is not being nice or slick or super creative. All kinds of technology all around, you know what I mean? And that's where it's at. And he's not saying that. Preaching is not showing off how much you know about the Bible or how much education that you have. Preaching is announcing the good news about Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what Paul says here. Paul says he came in weakness and fear and trembling, not because he was scared, because he was a real preacher. He understood what he was doing when he was preaching God's word. It's a weighty thing. Preaching is not about being persuasive. We need to hear that in our day. It's not about constantly trying to explain everything away, explain the Bible away to death, and trying to convince people, trying to convince people somehow, right? It is not apologizing before you speak, standing up and saying, well, well, this is what Paul says, but that's really, you know, not what he meant, and, you know, it was a different day and age and different culture and, and stuff like that. Preaching is announcing. It is declaring what God says in the Bible. We, uh, we put an ad in the paper for our block party, right? So it's in there la last week and then this week, we put it in there, trying to invite everybody out to the, our Easter service and the block party, and the ad was an announcement. It was saying, hey, this is what's going to happen on Easter Sunday. And that's what preaching is. Preaching is an announcement. It's an advertisement saying, hey, this is what happened with Jesus. This is what God says. This is what God is going to do. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, was a famous preacher in London, England. Uh, he was a Welsh pastor in London, and uh, he was preaching there at uh, Westminster Chapel for many decades, and thousands of people came out to hear him. And this is what he says in his book, Preaching and Preachers. Any true definition of preaching must say that that man is there to deliver the message of God, a message from God to those people. All right? That's a beautiful definition of preaching. See, a man is sent by God, he is called by God, he is gifted by God, and he is sent to preach. And a preacher is on a mission, and he will not be denied because he's been sent by God. Very much just like uh, what Jesus said. Jesus said, I must do this because I was sent for this purpose. Right? I've been called. Right? It's like a fire that's shut up in your bones like Jeremiah says, and I've got to let it out. You've got you to preach. Um, it's March Madness right now, the NCAA tournament. I watched Miami play uh, last Sunday. It was a great game. Right, they lost last night. But uh, anyway, uh, one of the players was talking after the game about how uh, they remembered how it felt the previous year when they lost in the Elite Eight. So they got the team together the night before, and they talked about how bad they felt when they lost and how they didn't want uh, to lose again. Right? They had to win. That's what I'm saying. Preachers must preach. They must do it. So here's a definition of preaching. Preaching is a word from God out of the book of God, that is the Bible, announced to the people of God. That's preaching. 
Preaching is a message from God, out of, gotten out of the book of God, that is the Bible, for you, the people of God. A preacher is an ambassador for God. They represent him. They've been sent by him. They stand in the place of God, announcing uh, the word of God. A preacher is not there to play religious games, to go through rituals, to do what Every, do what they're supposed to do or um, what they grew up doing. A preacher is not, not there to earn a paycheck. And man, we need to hear that, right? I'm just here just making a living, you know, paying my bills, and I'm not going to say anything to upset anybody because I don't want to lose my job, right? Preachers ought to preach in such a way that they're scared to lose their job. A preacher stands um, as the mouthpiece of God. Martin Luther, uh, and during the Reformation, put it like this. The pastor must be sure that God speaks through his mouth. Otherwise, it is time for him to be quiet. Amen. And amen, preacher. All right, see, that's what preaching is. So when true preaching happens, here's what's going on. Jesus is preaching. Here's what I mean. When we get together, what are we getting together for? Just because we're supposed to? No. We expect something to happen. We ought to expect Jesus to be speaking to us when the word is preached. Right? Preach the word. And that just makes sense in the context of 2 Timothy. We just got done with chapter 3. Now we're in chapter 4. We spent two weeks talking about what? The Bible. We talked all about how the Bible is the sacred scriptures, how it's one story, one book telling one story about one man that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week, we talked about how God breathed the scriptures out. They're inspired by him, that God, they are God's word. And God is speaking to us in the scriptures. So now, Paul says to this pastor, well, if that's the case, then you ought to preach it. You ought, you ought to declare that thing, proclaim it, announce it. So when pastors preach the word, it is God's word to God's people. That is the church. This is what preaching is. So when should we preach? When should we do this? That's the second question. When should we preach? Look at uh, verses 2 through 4. Preach the word. Be ready. In season, out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage, great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they already want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth, turn aside to myths. So when should we pre preach? And you may be thinking, well, that's a dumb question. We ought to preach all the time. All right, we ought to preach all the time. Paul says here, be ready in season and out of season. Be ready in season and out of season. And uh, it's hard to tell what season it is right now, isn't it? 70 yesterday, 35 degrees uh, this morning, right? You don't know if it's spring, is it winter, is it spring, is it winter? Right, well, March 20th, it was officially spring. So, sorry, spring. It's pretty nice out right now. But sometimes it feels like, feels like winter. Uh, winter's over. Paul is charging Timothy here to preach in season and out of season. Preach when the weather's good and when the weather's terrible. And he's not talking about weather. He's talking about, well, is it, is it acceptable? 
or not? Is it, is it favorable or not? Are you going to get a big hearing? Are you going to get a lot of opposition? Right? And as a church, we need to know what season it is right now in our culture. And it is winter right now for the church. That the church is seen as a threat in the world, that our message is hateful. Uh, all you had to do is just look at the biggest headline in the news this past week, and you know that, that, that Christians are responsible for uh, the, the murder of, uh, of, of kids by transgender individuals. And that was our fault. Right? Um, well, if it's winter, here's what it means. It just means the preaching needs to need dialed up even hotter. Right? If it's cold, we just need to crank it all, crank the heat all the way up so that we can feel the warmth of God's word uh, in our ears and in our souls, right? And, and the same is true if you're, if you're getting your garden ready. You don't want to plant your garden just yet, do you? I don't know. I'm not an expert gardener, but I assume right now is not the best time. You need to wait a little bit because not everything is ready to be planted. If you plant it now, it's going to die. But that's not the way it is with preaching. Preachers preach in all seasons. They plant the seeds of the Word of God at all times, even if the, the conditions are harsh, drought, frost, hard times. And he mentions why here in this passage. There at the, at the end, uh, verse 3 says, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. And, and sound doctrine is just, what does the book say? But according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And they will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths. And when he's talking about myths, he's just talking about personal opinions, personal preferences. Pastors are to preach the Bible regardless of whether people tolerate sound doctrine or not. That's his whole point. Hard times will come. Doesn't matter, Timothy. Preach the Bible. So uh, what is it that's in the Bible that you think that people can't stomach right now? Think about it. What is it that's in this book that if I read out on the sidewalk, I'd probably get cussed out here in Berkeley Springs? I'll give you a couple, and they're quotations from Jesus himself. John 17, verse 3, Jesus, before he was crucified, is praying, says, This is eternal life that they may know you, check this out, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So according to Jesus, there is only one true God. That is the creator God of the scriptures. That means all other gods, all other religions, all other spiritualities, all other philosophies, all other psychologies, all other perspectives are false. And they are a lie. And they are idolatrous, and they are demonic, and they are of the work of the devil. There's only one true God, and there's only one way to that God. It's through the Son that he has sent Jesus Christ uh, into the world. God sent his Son into the world. And Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you've sent, Jesus Christ. So life, real life, is only found in Jesus. It is knowing him and believing him because he came into the world and died for all of our sins. And he was buried and he resurrected from the dead. And he is alive. And it says here that uh, Jesus is the Christ. Christ is not a last name, by the way. It is a title and it means Messiah. 
Jesus is the one that was promised long ago. God promised to the Jews who would come into the world, would set everything straight. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he is the world's true Lord. And because of that, he's making everything new. Everything that sin has distorted, everything that sin has twisted and bent through his death and resurrection, through the power of the Spirit at work in the world, Jesus is bending it all back straight. And one of the main areas of our lives that is bent, that he is setting straight, is our sexuality and sex. I heard someone uh, say recently that really what's going on in our culture boils down to we just want to have sex with whoever we want to have sex with. That's what it is. And doggone it, you better not tell me no. But here it is. Jesus says no. You can't do that. And our culture is intolerant to Jesus, the resurrected Lord, at this point. And I'll show you. Matthew chapter 19, this is Jesus again, uh, verse 4 through 6, and he's being interrogated about marriage and divorce. And this is what he says. Haven't you read? See that? Jesus affirmed the entirety of the Bible. Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. He's quoting from, the, the reason it's bold is because he's quoting from the book of Genesis. So it's according to Jesus, right? Who we are as human beings, our anthropology, the way that he has made us, is uh, there's only two sexes, there's only two genders, just male and female, and everything else, uh, all the other pronouns and stuff that we come up with are just made up and make-believe. Um, he goes on. And he also said to them, for this reason, a man, will leave, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. And so they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined... I love how Jesus adds this. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That is, that is nobody. No politicians, no pastors, preachers, no psychologists, your best friend, Facebook, whatever it is. Don't let them separate it. So according to the Bible's doctrine, one biological male and one biological female in marriage is God's design. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. So according to Jesus, it's the two sexes, male and female, who come together as one flesh in, in marriage. And that is the place where sexuality uh, is designed uh, to flourish and is a beautiful picture. Right? So uh, Jesus, this was his design. This was his idea. One woman, one man in marriage. This is where sex is uh, uh, designed to flourish according to the scriptures, according to God, right? And it's a beautiful gift to us. It was his idea. Hello? He created it. Thank you, Jesus, right? And it is meant, according to the scriptures, to be a picture of the gospel, Marriage, man and woman, two who are different are coming together as one is a picture of God's union together with his bride, the church. Jesus is the head of the church. His church is the bride, right? And so it's not a trivial matter. This is why it's not a trivial matter. It's not arbitrary what the Bible teaches about sexuality. God isn't being a meanie. No, the heart of the scriptures is the gospel and marriage is pointing to that. And sex within marriage. 
And this is why it is so important. This is why the devil rages at this particular point. All the demons, because they know what marriage is about. They don't want the gospel to be glorified and Jesus Christ to be honored and, and praised. So, according to Jesus, every form of sexual expression, including lustful looks, glances, desires, cravings, identifying sexually other than defined according to Jesus, is bent, distorted, and sinful. Let me make it even more clear. If you are craving, identifying, practicing anywhere on the LGBTQ plus, 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 plus spectrum, that is clearly sinful according to Jesus. Or maybe that's not your deal. Right? You like the opposite sex. So, lustful looks, cravings, desires, practices, the opposite sex outside of one man, one woman in marriage, in the marriage covenant, is clearly sinful according to Jesus. You see, this is sound doctrine. This is what the Bible teaches. And this is what Jesus died to restore in our lives. Jesus didn't die just so we could be forgiven. He, he, he died to restore us, to mend us, to put us back together. And you, and you might be thinking, oh, that's easy for you to say. You're a preacher and you're married. And, well, you, you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through and with the things that I've done and the, the guilt and the shame and the pain uh, in this particular area in my life. Right? See, according to Jesus, we're all sexual sinners. Right? This is not just for folks on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Jesus says all of us have done this. All of us have sinned in this area. Right? And here's what I mean by sin. Let me be very clear. There's a creator God, made the world a specific way, and when we rebel against him in this area, it is sin. That's what I'm talking about. Our sin is against God. Right? And maybe you feel that here this morning, what I'm saying. And listen, when I came to be a Christian, you know the, one of the first questions I had was, do you mean i got to stop this? I knew the answer already. I knew the answer already, right? And here's what I want all of y'all to know. Jesus loves you, and he died for you to forgive you and to cleanse you and, and to deliver you. Because it, be, it can be a slavery, right? It can be a slavery. He died not just to forgive you and to cleanse you, but to change you, to help you be the person that God designed you to be and created you to be, and to give you a new heart, to change your wants and your desires and your cravings deep down, to give you desires that want to honor him and to live for him and to glorify him. But you've got to believe the gospel first. You have to believe that Jesus died for you and your sins. Right? You have to believe that he died on that cross to save you, to forgive you, to cleanse you, and then you've got to repent. That means, okay, if Jesus died for these sexual sins then I need to go this way and do what he says to do in the scriptures and to honor him. And we're all called to do that as, as Christians. And he will help you. That's what we're here for. It doesn't mean you can't be here and struggle with these things. It doesn't mean that you can't be here and, and sin in these ways. Well, you shouldn't. Right? We're here to help one another and to be patient with one another, walk with one another, and, and encourage one another and challenge one another uh, in these things so that we might grow uh, in our walk. And, and this message that I've just preached, this little piece right here, is not in season. And you can feel that, can't you? Well, we got to say it. 
Someone's got to say it, right? And there are all kinds of people out there. People got itching ears, right? To hear what they want to hear, and they accumulate this echo chamber around them. And all these teachers, right? It's politicians, it's professors, CEOs, government officials, preachers, pastors, parents, school teachers, counselors, so on down the line to affirm everybody's sinful desires. But we must preach the Bible or people will be lost and they will perish without Jesus. That's why we got to preach the word. Why is preaching so important? Last question. Why is preaching so important? 2 Timothy 4, uh, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Look at this. I solemnly charge you. You see that? That's a serious business. I solemnly charge you before God and Jesus Christ, who's coming to judge, going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Uh, me and my lovely bride celebrated 14 years of marriage this past week. We had a wonderful time uh, celebrating that. Right? But I remember our wedding day. Beautiful day. Like, like today. And uh, we had all of our friends there. And it was a beautiful church building uh, in Kentucky. In Bluegrass State. And the grass was blue. Right? And it was a wonderful celebration. It was a joyful time. And we had a blast. But you know what? It was still serious business. It's still a serious matter, right, because we believe what Jesus says about marriage, right? Remember what he said back there in Matthew chapter 19, what God has joined together, let nobody separate. That means when two people stand before God and before witnesses, God is joining them together, and that's serious business. But preaching is also like that. It is a heavy thing. That's what Paul's saying here. I solemnly charge you before God. In the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus, who's coming to judge the living and and the dead. Preach the word. Preach the Bible. And he he mentions several things about Jesus here as to why preaching is important. Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. This is why preaching is important, because Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. We are to preach the Bible because Jesus is going to judge the world. Meaning, He's coming back. Everything that's bent and crooked, sinful, he's going to make it right. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to, set, it all, he's going to set it all straight. In light of that day, and in the presence of Jesus, even here now, we preach the word. Because you know what? That's part of how he's setting everything straight. As the word is preached, our lives get bent uh, back, into the, back into the right place. Right? Because we hear the good news. We hear that he loves us, and he came, and he lived, and he suffered, and he died, and he rose from the dead. And it's a call to repent. Right? It's a call to turn away from those things that enslave us, and turn away from those things that, that bring shame and dishonor him. And he says, also, and because of his appearing and his kingdom. Right? This is why we're to preach. Here's, you, know what, you know what all this means right here? It means he's alive. How how can he do any of that if he's dead? He's going to come. He's going to appear, and his kingdom is going to fill this entire world. Right, that's why we ought to preach. Isn't that what we're getting ready to celebrate next week? We're getting ready to celebrate this. 
The fact that he's risen from the dead, that that tomb was empty, it's been empty for a long time, and that throne is occupied. And Jesus is the sovereign Lord over all things, and he's bringing his will to pass in this world, whether we see it, whether we recognize it or not. We preach the word because we have an announcement to make. We have an announcement to make to this community, to Berkeley Springs. We got something to tell them. Right, we got something to tell all of Morgan County and everybody who listened all around this whole region. We're going to tell them Jesus is alive. This is the gospel. This is what we do. We're going to tell them he's coming again. He's going to appear. Every eye is going to see him. He is Lord. He is kingdom. And his king has, kingdom has already been established. That's what his message was when he came. Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. He stepped foot onto the stage of human history. He says, all right, here, it's going down. Now's the time. Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Right? See, the kingdom came when Jesus came, but yet it's not fully established. One day, everything that's sinful, everything that's wicked, all injustice, and wickedness and demons and the devil will all be gone. And he will reign over it all. And here's what that means. That means that Jesus is Lord over everyone in this community. Think about it. Who has the most, who has, who has the say-so in our community? Or in this county or in West Virginia or in, in the United States or in the world? Where, who's got the most power? Who's got the authority? Who's got the final say? Jesus does. That means everything that's going on in our community, in our county, in the country, every aspect of it, Jesus is Lord. Right? And we want to tell him that, that he's going to reign over all things and every eye will see him. And here's the good news. All your suffering and all your tears and all your tragedy and all your shame and all the regret of the past, all those tears are going to be wiped away. What a day. What a beautiful day. And we will see him. We will see Jesus. We will see our God and our Savior and our Lord face to face. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. So Paul says to Timothy, verse 5, But as for you, you exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So preaching is the work of pastoral ministry. And when preachers preach, they are fulfilling their calling by God. And it says, it says here, fulfill your ministry. Ministry is just another word for service. So when pastors preach, right, they are doing it to serve and to love and, and to care and to feed God's people. I heard this uh, this past week as I was thinking about this sermon. This pastor said, word precedes world. Word of God came before the world. I thought, that is so cool, man. God, in the very beginning, spoke. He preached a word, and all the stars, and all the galaxies, and everything in you came flying into being. Right? So we preach. We speak his word, and there is life. 
Right? That's why we preach. We preach the gospel because that's what creates new life. All right? And this is what we're doing now. This is what we're doing today. This is what the church has always done, thousands of years, is to preach the word. Right? Preach this book. And this is what we're going to do until he appears, until he comes again one day. And now we want to respond to this, to this word.